Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. from the very first, from the very beginning, that the family unit is the institution or the model or the means that God uses to surround us and to take care of us. In fact, you'll remember not too many months ago, I read to you a passage of scripture that's kind of stuck into my spirit over these months. It's in uh in Psalms, it's not our text this morning, I just want to remind you, it's uh, Psalm 68.6, which says this, God will place the lonely in families. It means that he is literally using the family unit, this family unit, to help people that are lonely. He does not like for anyone to be alone. In fact, in the garden, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We need a family unit. So it reveals that God recognizes the need for family in everybody's life. Now, here's the dilemma. Our Western mindset does not understand this, the concept of family the way that the, uh, the Eastern uh, Jewish Hebrew, Hebrew mindset understands family. I didn't realize this until uh, these past two weeks while I've been in Israel. We climbed everything that you can possibly climb, we climbed. Uh, we hiked over 90 miles during our 10 days there, and so we saw a lot. But one of the things that we saw and we learned uh, took place in a, in a place that you will find mentioned in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read the account to you. I'm just going to mention it to you. It's Arad. Arad uh, is, uh, here's a picture of it. Um, put it on, yeah, that's a picture. This is what we pulled up to. Uh, Arad is mentioned in the Old Testament. It's very near where the children of Israel were bitten by snakes. Remember that account? And Moses raised up the golden snake and they were all healed. Remember that? It was near this. So when we pulled up to this, I, I'm thinking, man, that's pretty cool. Look at all these ruins. That's not the top of a mountain up there. That's walls. Show the next one. The next one shows you a little closer up what we walked into. And that is the basis of what I want to mention to you because what we saw, I thought, when we looked at that previous picture, I thought it was the ruins of a village. That's what I thought. I thought that was a village. It, 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 it spans about 14 acres across the top. And I'm thinking, man, that's a village. But what I learned was this. Our teacher taught us, our rabbi taught us, that instead this was basically a multi-room structure where the, based on what the Hebrews believe about family. Here's the Hebrew, Hebrew term that we learned, and I'm going to mess it all up, but uh, I'm going to teach you Hebrew my way. It sounds like Western Oklahoma. Uh, okay. Um, the, the term is this. It's Beit Av. It's B-E-T-A-V is the way we would spell it in English. Beit Av. It literally means the house of the father. And the concept here is that uh, an entire family unit would live together. We have broken that down. We all have our own houses now. But in this mindset, the reason it spanned over 14 acres was it was a family unit. It was up to three generations living in the same complex. That was the family concept in the Hebrew mind. Uh, so, so this is what would happen. Uh, a son would go find a wife, take a wife, and instead of going to buy his own house, what they would do is, what we learned here, is they would just build on a new room. 
And, okay, some of y'all are going to, uh, we don't like this concept. But, uh, okay, I understand. But that's how they think about family. They would just move back into the father's house in a new room that they constructed for them. It was a family. Some of y'all, are, okay. So here's the idea. They lived in community. It was all about community. Uh, all the provisions and all the protection was found in one place, in the house of the father. All their needs were met by their father. These family dwellings would get very large. A good example of this is found in the Old Testament. You hopefully remember this account. There's an account about Abraham and Lot where Lot decides to go move out of the Beit Av and go move down to Sodom. And you will remember that when he gets to Sodom, four kings lay siege to Sodom and they take Lot captive. Remember that? And the father's in, in charge was Abraham. And so the Bible says that Abraham gathered 318 of his men and they go down and rescue Lot. And I've always read that thinking, well, he just knew 318 guys out, out in the city and he went and got them. Most likely, he had the 318 men living in his Beit Av. So he had an armed force, an armed group of men in his own household and he just gathered them and he went to get his nephew. That's the concept of Beit Av. Um, so the concept of family in the Hebrew mindset and what Jesus was dealing with in his day was much larger than ours. So then you transfer over to the New Testament, and now you, you find that they changed the term because they're speaking in Greek, and they use this word, insula. Insula is the same concept of Beit Av, but it even expands further, and now what it, it, that means is it's a family group or, in some cases, a city block. Now, I, I, I went and did a little research because I wanted to make sure I'm right, but, but, and, I, and I wasn't. So I'm, I'm just going to tell you I was wrong, but, but, but just play like I was right, all right? Um, because when you say the word insula, the, immediately I think of the word insulate. Insulate has its foundation in Latin, not in Greek. But I don't think it's a, a damage or even a stretch to understand that that is the concept of what they were talking about, that this insula insulated them. Because all your protection was found there. So all of that to get you to this simple question as we deal with family matters. And that is this. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? Join me if you will in Jeremiah chapter 32. I want to read to you uh, out of that passage, Jeremiah chapter 32, and verse, beginning in verse 2, going down through verse 35. And then I'll come back and read a New Testament passage here in just a moment. This is what it says in the Old Testament. It says, I can't stand to look any longer at the wicked lives of the people of Israel and Judah, deliberately making me angry. The whole lot of them, kings and leaders and priests and preachers in the country and in the city, they've turned their backs on me. They won't even look me in the face, even though I took great pains to teach them how to live. They've refused to listen. They refused to be taught. Why, why they even set up obscene God and goddesses statues in the temple built in my honor. An outrageous desecration. And then they went out and built shrines to the god Baal in the valley of Hinnom where they burned their children in sacrifice to the god Molech. I can hardly conceive of such evil, evil turning the whole country into one huge act of sin. You will remember that last week that Pastor Woody mentioned to you that uh, we, ought, we have a natural family 
and we have a spiritual family. We're literally living in two worlds, if you will, where we have natural family, but we also have spiritual family. We are, whether we like it or not, whether we embrace it or not, whether we even understand the concept of it or not, we are literally living in a bait of, a community. And like the children of Israel, I want to submit to you this truth this morning. I believe that understanding that we have a natural family and a spiritual family, that if we are not careful, we find ourselves where the children of Israel found themselves in Jeremiah, and we are committing child sacrifice. Okay, I, I figured it'd get quiet. Y'all were all expecting me to be all like nice when I got back from Israel and I hiked 90 miles. I'm not going to be nice. <laughs> in the heat, in the wilderness. <laughs> I got to take it out on somebody. The guy tried to kill us. Um, here's the dilemma. We don't offer our children on the altars of Molech, but what we do is we change the name of the gods. So let me, let me just get really basic here. In the natural, okay, your natural family, we are sacrificing our children on the altar of selfishness. Now, you can hide it behind any name you want to call it. You don't have to call it selfishness. But as I begin to think about all the areas that we offer our children up as sacrifices, you can wrap it up with the idea of selfishness. It doesn't matter what you call it. Success, busyness, business. I need to be happy. I need to do me. I need to take care of me. I, you can say whatever you want, but when you boil it all down, it is the altar of selfishness. We place ourselves as natural parents. We place ourselves and our needs and our wants and our desires and our comfort and our goals in front of our children. And in essence, we are offering them as child sacrifice on the altar of selfishness. We are charged not with raising children. We have a mandate to train children. You raise chickens. You train children. But we have slipped over into this mentality that we raise children. No, you don't. You train children. We train them up in the way that they should go so that when they become old, they will not depart from it. You are not raising them. You are training them. You are, they are in boot camp from the day that they come onto the scene, ready or not. They show up with no training manual, but you've got to figure it out. We're training them in the way that they should go. We're charged with doing that. And yet what we do is we model for them just the exact opposite way that we want them to go. Okay, it's going to get tight. We, we talk about commitment, and we talk about being sold out to God, but our walk says otherwise. They literally watch as we go through our daily life, and our relationship with God diminishes in importance and in priority, and in that example, we train them to walk away from God. We train them that sports are more important. We train them that grades are more important. We train them that college is more important. We train them that jobs are more important. We train them that cars are more important. We train them that houses are more important. We train them that status is more important. And they watch and they learn. And we sacrifice them on the altar of our own selfishness. 
We allow our own selfishness to keep us from mentoring them, from spending time with them, from disciplining them. Our mentality has become like the Israelites who after receiving this word, I've read, I read this to you so many times over the last nine years that I'm not even going to read it. I'm just going to mention it to you. There's a passage in the Old Testament that talks about that God through a prophet says to the children of Israel that there will be peace in your day, but your children will go into bondage. They will go into captivity. Do you remember the response of the children of Israel? They say, that's a great word. Excuse me? You just prophesied that there would be peace in my day, but my children would be placed in bondage, and you want to declare that that is a good word? So here's what we do. Our method of parenting has become, the, become this. This is the standard. Peace for me, hell for my children. As long as I get to enjoy my success, it doesn't really matter if my children are in bondage later. As long as there is peace in my day, don't ruffle any feathers, don't rock any boats, don't change nothing. I just want peace in my day. Okay. All right. So we fail to train them, to train them how to handle money, and so we bankrupt their futures. Uh, we don't really care as long as we're successful. We don't care that they are experiencing pain due to my continued absence. Uh, As long as they excel and achieve to validate my importance as a parent and to make me look good, I don't really care that the backside of that is that they're angry and that they're hurried and that they're stressed out and they're not in church and they don't love God. doesn't bother me as long as they're successful because it makes me look like I did my... Okay, I, okay, y'all didn't... Okay. May I remind you that in the natural, when it comes to our children, our number one priority is not to make sure that our kids are successful. Our number one priority is to make sure that our kids are spiritual. We we have a choice to make. We have a choice. If you have natural children, and if you don't, just hang on, because I'm going to jump on you too. Uh, I walk 90 miles up hills, uh, both ways. In the natural, we have a choice to make. We must choose whether we want our children to be successfully bound or do we want them to be spiritually sound. That is the choice we must make. What are you sacrificing your children on? What altar? Are you kidding? Are you taking care of your kids spiritually? It's not enough to make sure their physical needs are met. Are their spiritual needs being met? Okay, so we have this natural family, a bait off. But we also have a spiritual bait off. The New Testament is very clear how this bait off should operate. In the New Testament, Paul addresses this when he's writing to Titus in Titus chapter 2. He addresses our spiritual bait off. He says this, he says, in verse 2 and through verse 8, he says, Teach the older, man to, the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, 
self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them as an example. Now he's talking to Titus. He says, set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Paul literally lines it out for Titus that in our spiritual beta, there is a way that we should live in relationship to one another. He tells us inside this spiritual bait of we are to be involved in raising the next generation in the way that they should go. And so while on, in the natural we offer our children up on the altar of selfishness, may I submit to you that what I recognize now when we begin to talk about our spiritual bait of, we are literally offering our spiritual children up on the altar of seclusion. Seclusion. We have become so isolated and so secluded in our approach to our spiritual journey that we are losing those that we are assigned to train. Now don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. Are you kidding? Even if we don't have children in the natural, you are not exempt and you are not excluded from this simple fact. You have spiritual children. It doesn't matter if you're 12 years old, you have spiritual children. There are children that are looking up to you and that you are modeling the way to walk. That's what Titus is saying. It doesn't matter if you're 76 years old and think you've done all you can do and I don't have any stamina left and nobody cares about what I think. Listen, you have spiritual children that are watching you that you should be modeling and walking before. Who are your children in the faith? None of us are childless. None of us. We have way too many orphans inside the church simply because people refuse to parent. We are in seclusion. There are men and women on every row in this bait of that need somebody to come alongside them and model for them. How do you deal with anger? How do you deal with bad days? How do you deal with brokenness? How do you deal with destroyed dreams? How do you deal with it when one of your parents die? How do you de- the only way they find out is when we gather in a spiritual bait of and we train and we model. Every one of us are responsible for mentoring those under us. And we have become so committed to the idea of doing our spiritual walk alone that we are killing our spiritual children. Let me see if this sounds like the way we approach our spiritual life right now. We have become so isolated that now there is no insulation. So what we do is our approach is like this. We attend service. We arrive late. We exit early. We don't talk to anybody. Okay, Um, there's no interaction 
There's no further accountability. There's no time. There's no talk. There's no trust. There's no accountability. There's no checking on one another. We just worship staring at each of others, each other's back, back of each other's head. And then we wonder why people are falling away from the faith. It's because we are sacrificing our spiritual children on the altar of seclusion. Christianity was never supposed to be a private practice. We're supposed to be in this together. In fact, I want to let you in on a secret that we have missed in our Western mindset. The whole idea of redemption is wrapped up in bait of. In fact, I want to say this to you this morning. You can't even experience, according to the Jewish mindset, you can't even experience redemption outside of bait of. Because if you don't have a spiritual family, what are you going to be restored to? You don't believe me? Go read the story of Ruth. The whole story is a story about a Bedov. She follows Naomi after she gets married to Naomi's children. Her husband dies. She's got nobody. She looks at uh, Naomi and says, your people are my people. Your God is my God. Bedov. She follows Naomi back to her homeland, back to, to, to Naomi's homeland. And guess who steps in? Boaz. Why does Boaz step in and redeem? Boaz literally means a kinsman redeemer. Hello? It's a picture of the Beit Av, the way it's supposed to work. Do you recognize that in the Beit Av, the father was responsible for restoring anything that any family member ever lost? If they lost property, if they lost goods, if they lost relationship, it was the father's responsibility to step in and restore. And what I'm saying to you this morning is this. We don't even encounter redemption at the level that we could if we were connected. Because one of the things that's supposed to be restored is fellowship with family members. And yet the way we practice our Christianity is isolation and seclusion. Don't ask me how I'm doing. In fact, I'll lie to you. Blessed. Don't talk to me about anything that matters. Just ask me how the OU game went. And once you get past that, go real deep. How's the weather? God forbid we actually stop and talk. Okay. So I need you to expand the concept of children and family to understand that like it or not, at every age, at every spiritual maturity level, you have spiritual children that you are responsible for. And some of them won't share your last name. So what am I saying? I'm saying that you need to adopt. I'm saying that you need to step in. I'm saying that you need to take in. I'm saying that it's, I'm calling you to mentor and to model and disciple and to lead. So in regards to our natural family, those of you that have natural children, and in regards to our spiritual family, I must ask you this question. Are you kidding? Are you, are you generating any followers in your life? 
Or are you sacrificing your children on selfishness and seclusion? And I just want to challenge you this morning. Very simply want to challenge you. If family matters, if family matters, prove it. If family matters, in regards to your natural children, prove it. Make them more important than your job. Make them more important than your TV show. Make them more important than anything else in your life. Prove that family matters. In the spiritual, prove it. Because we don't prove it very well around here for the most part. Some of us do, some of us don't. We won't let anybody get close. We, we go out of our way to get out of the way. And I'm asking you, if family matters, then wearing a Passion Church t-shirt's not enough. Putting a sticker on your car is not enough. If family actually matters, pick up the phone and call somebody that's missing. Go see somebody that's sick in the hospital and quit waiting on the pastoral staff to do it. When somebody's struggling and you see that they're down, don't call me. Call them. Run to one another, not away from one another. You can, you can claim to be a part of this family all you want to, but if it matters, prove it. Look for ways to hang out. Create ways. Make stuff up. Just make it up. Just show up at people's houses. Make it up. Uh, what are you doing here? Well, <laughs> the pastor's saying, make stuff up. Got something to eat? Because we're hanging out tonight. I know you wanted to watch Blue Buds, but we're hanging out tonight. How many of us do so much alone? I, I, I've recognized in my own life over the past couple of months, and especially after hiking 90 miles, when there were hills that I wasn't sure I was going to be able to make it up, and descents I didn't know if I could endure. It was nice to have somebody right beside me going, you can do this. In fact, I'll give you a hand. Watch out for that step right there because that's a doozy. It, it might slide out from under you. We can make this. We'll hold you. I watched my Beit Av in Israel literally pick a lady up that had, we were three and a half miles in the desert, not on paved roads, y'all, on a path about this wide with 450 straight down cliffs. And she, she twisted her ankle, could not walk. And I watched my spiritual Beit Av there put her on their backs and carry her out three and a half miles. And yet we'll watch one another here stumble and fall and we all run for the hills. And I am challenging you that you need to find ways And because I've noticed in my own life, even, even in the last couple of months, I've noticed that I do a whole lot of stuff all by myself. So I know if I'm living like that, that many of you are living the same way.
And I'm telling you that you have a mandate on your life to kill. And if nobody's calling you to do stuff with you, quit blaming them. Quit blaming them. Pick up the phone and call because fathers pursue sons. And eventually sons will pursue fathers, but that's after they're 18. And they've figured out they don't know everything. Make that 22. Make, make that 35. But there comes a day when it switches. But until it does, you have a responsibility to reach out and say, hey, I'm running to the grocery store and I'm all by myself. Can we spend some time together? I got I to gotta go on this trip. Could you go with me? Could we eat together? Because you're going to need somebody to call you when you're hurting. And some of you have got nobody to call. We are to be family. And if family matters, prove it. Father, this morning, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that in the natural, those of us that have natural children that you've blessed us with, it's one of the greatest, it is the greatest blessing that you could ever give us other than our salvation is the chance, the opportunity to watch our children born. And what a heavy responsibility you've placed on our lives to raise and train them. And Father, this morning I'm praying for moms and dads. I pray that we would learn that our kids are the most important things in life. In most cases, they will outlive us. They are our legacy. Father, I'm praying that you would help moms and dads this morning to make a new commitment to kill selfishness in our own lives and to make our children priority again. They are more important than our job. They are more important than our status. They are more important than everything we own. They are our greatest treasure. I pray we would make a new and renewed commitment to model for them how important you are in our lives. We would walk a path that they can follow. Father, in our spiritual beta of our spiritual family, I recognize that even this morning there are a bunch of folks under the sound of my voice that are living life all alone. As long as they're on the mountaintop, that's great, but each and every one of us have descents, journeys down, valleys that we have to endure. And that's when it exposes our seclusion. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would join us together at the hip. We would kid here. We would all recognize that there are generations behind us that we are responsible for training. I pray that we would prove that family matters in this place. God, that's what will grow this family is not advertising. It's something different. When we become a place where we really care about one another, we are doing life together. We're loving on one another. We're not secluded, and people will be drawn because people are hungry for relationship. 
I pray that you would establish that here. I pray that if there's any man in this place that's doing everything alone, I pray that you would convict them this morning. I pray that if there's any lady that's doing anything alone, you would convict them this morning. I pray that you would teach us that we have to give entry. We're not supposed to be doing this alone. In the house of the Father, in community, all of our needs are met, all provision is made, protection is found. So I pray that you break down every wall of seclusion. No more lone rangers, no more lone victims, but together in a family that cares about one another, that will carry one of our wounded down a mountain and will pull people to victory that would have otherwise experienced defeat. We ask you to make us that kind of family for your glory, your honor, and for the good of your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody that will make a commitment to that, no, no, don't, don't you play games with me. Don't you dare say amen and then refuse to call anybody. But everybody that will make a commitment to train their natural children and everybody that will make a commitment to get involved and fight your way out of seclusion, would you say amen? Good, I got 12 of you. We can do this, y'all. We got to do this. Love you guys. I've missed you badly. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.